How many of you have, um, any of you get along to hear the Franklin Graham uh, over the last little while? You heard some podcasts, yeah. Um, I guess it's a long time since Australia's had uh, uh, a kind of outreach like that. I wonder, I didn't get to hear any of his talks, but I, I wonder whether any of them were the theme, come to Jesus uh, in order to suffer. I'm just wondering, um, I wonder if any of us have actually heard a message, come to Jesus uh, in order to suffer. Uh, it's not the gospel message that we tend to hear, is it? Um, we, we tend to hear something quite contrary. In fact, if you're suffering, come to Jesus that you might not suffer. Uh, if you're struggling uh, with life, come to Jesus and he'll help you through that life. Uh, if you're feeling down and out, come to Jesus and he'll lift you up. If you are sick, he'll heal you. If you're poor, he'll make you wealthy. This is much more like uh, the gospel messages uh, that we hear around about us. But Jesus himself said, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. And of course, it wasn't a metaphor so much as it was a reality for Jesus. He took up his cross and what did that mean? He suffered. Uh, he went to his death. Jesus said, if you'll come after me, you will be persecuted. Uh, the Apostle Paul said, whoever desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Uh, James said, um, consider it pure joy when you face trials of various kinds. I wonder whether we are adequately preparing ourselves and preparing others for the harsh reality of life. Of course, there's all kinds of suffering in life. Some suffering is just quite random from a human perspective. Uh, there's natural disasters, there's there's things that we have absolutely no control over uh, and that's true for all mankind. Some suffering we bring on ourselves, like the person who drinks too much and falls over and cracks their skull. Other suffering comes about specifically because we choose to put Jesus first. Now, what does Romans chapter 8 have to say to us in the context of of suffering? How is it preparing us for when the storms and the trials and the difficulties come our way? Because they will, won't they? They will come our way. And as we saw when looking at Mark chapter 4, there will be worries, there will be deceptive challenges, there will be things that will draw us away from the Lord Jesus and we need to be prepared for when those times come. I would imagine uh, looking around this room, that some of you have been through some very testing times. I imagine that uh, some of you have had challenges to your own faith. You, you've had questions raised for you. Let me tell you, I have been there. Uh, if you've not actually uh, had a look at the book that was just promoted, Hope Beyond Cure, it tells uh, my story from when I was diagnosed with lung cancer at stage four. Uh, I was given about 10 to 13 months to live in December 2011. Uh, I was lying in a hospital bed feeling uh, that my life was effectively over. 
I've been teaching as a Christian pastor for many, many years that we need to put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I've been teaching that there is actually a hope beyond the grave, uh, that resurrection is a reality, that it started with Jesus and it will be the case for all who put their trust in Jesus. But now there I am facing my own mortality in the most confronting way for the first time ever. And it was like plugging all the theory uh, into a reality machine. I had to ask those questions. Did everything that I believed stack up? Was there actually a hope beyond the grave? Is there something to look forward to? Does God have a point in what I'm now going through? And I want to encourage you to look hard at, at what we see in Romans chapter 8 in this next section that we're looking at because I think one of our problems is that when difficulties come, we get caught unawares. We're kind of surprised. It's interesting, in the church that I'm involved with now, Fiona and I, we're looking through the book of 1 Peter and in a couple of weeks we're going to come up with the passage that says, do not be surprised at the difficulties that you're facing. Um, don't be surprised at how people are treating you because you are Christian. It's, why would he say don't be surprised about this? Because we can live with a sense of entitlement that our lives should be comfortable. And I'll tell you, if there's ever been a country on earth that breeds that sense of entitlement, it's got to be Australia. And if there's ever a place in Australia that breeds that, well, it's got to be Canberra and Bonnie Hills for different reasons. So let's have a look then at what we see. How will you prepare for when the storms come? Um, it's interesting, North Queensland uh, has again been battered by cyclonic weather. It happens just about all the time, doesn't it? And a couple of years ago, you might have seen on the news, the, the cyclonic storms that hit uh, the Whit Sundays in Airlie Beach in particular. Devastating. And I remember uh, an interview with a woman who ran a fleet of those uh, boats, the, the sailing boats that you can just hire and take around the Whit Sundays. She had 28 of them. She had 28 of them. Now she had one. She had tethered those boats uh, up to each other. She tethered those boats up to trees. She tethered those boats up to the wharfs that were there. 27 of the 28 were destroyed. Because you see, that's not the way to keep a boat safe in a storm. Had she been prepared for this, had they known what was likely to happen, and they didn't foresee just how ferocious this was going to be, the safe way to protect all of those boats would have been to take them out to sea, out further, and anchor them to actually anchor those boats probably four directions, north, south, east and west, so no matter where the winds came from, they would be secure. You tie it up to the wrong thing, a wharf, it gets smashed. You lash it together with another boat, two get smashed. You tie it to a tree and the tree gets ripped out of the ground and everything gets smashed, but if you've got a proper anchor, then you'll weather the storm. Some boats did. Well, the book of Hebrews tells us that we have an anchor for the soul. It's actually the gospel of the Lord Jesus. 
And it's the gospel at work in this passage that'll help us to see how we can weather the storms to come. So open it up with me again if you've, uh, if you've got Romans 8 there. Um, please turn. And, and what we see as we pick it up, we'll come back to verse 17, but in verse 18 we see a picture of a world in crisis. He writes there, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Here's a world in crisis, suffering all around us. I mean, we've only got to turn on the news to know that that is the reality of the world that we live in. Uh, That is, if we're shielded from it personally, and a lot of us are, many people just live in that suffering day in and day out. That is the world that we have inherited. It's a world that's outside of the garden. It's a world that has been subjected to frustration. That is, we live now in a world that's been cursed. Uh, The book of Ecclesiastes gives us a commentary on this, doesn't it? It looks around at life, at at relationships, at work, at pleasure, at, at, at wisdom, at wealth, at all kinds of things, and it asks, where is there meaning to be found? Nowhere. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. It's just like a mist or a vapor, and it's gone. You see, we live in a world now of decay, disease, and death. We live in a world of disasters. We live in a world where there is pain and trouble and suffering. Why? Because we turned our back against God and God has subjected our world to frustration. It's no surprise that we can't make head nor tail of things in this world. No surprise at all because God has made it that way. And why? Well, what does the scripture say here? It actually says that this world has been subjected to frustration by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That is, God hasn't judged this world permanently now. We're not in the death throes of our world. No, God has subjected this world to frustration for a purpose that is in hope that it will one day be liberated from its bondage to decay and that will take place in conjunction with what God is doing with his people. That is the creation is looking forward to the children of God being revealed in verse 19. The creation is is looking forward to being brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Now many people in our world, are focused on trying to make the world a better place, aren't they? Um, I, I was actually talking with a friend last night uh, who is teaching a course across all the years in primary school called Sustainability. I mean, it's giving people a perspective on how to deal with and care for and actually extend the benefits and the blessings of, of the creation that we live in. 
We know that things ought to be better. We, we know that we've not done a good job of looking after our world. We're not going to fix the world's problems. Doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Doesn't mean we shouldn't look after it. Doesn't mean we could do, can't do a better job managing our creation. But we're not going to sort it. Because God is subjected to frustration in hope that it will one day be liberated. But it's going to be, its liberation will be tied up with the revelation of the children of God. That is what God is doing through the gospel in the lives of people is tied up with his restoration of the creation. And the creation is waiting for that to take place. A world in crisis that's looking forward to God making things right. But in the midst of this, we see a number of responses. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to this present time. Um, It's helpful, I think, uh, that Paul, when he describes the groaning, links it to the groaning in childbirth. Um, Because you could imagine two different types of groaning. That is, the the groaning as in death throes, right? There's just the agony of dying. But that's not the groaning that's here. The groaning that's here is, is picking up on the image of a woman in labour and looking forward to the new birth of something special. See, our world is groaning, but it's groaning in hope. It's groaning anticipating a new future. It's groaning because God is actually subjected to frustration that there will be better things to come. Verse 23, and not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. See, not only does the world groan, wanting things to be better, but we as Christians groan. And I want to draw attention to that because groaning... For the state of this world in the troubles and the suffering that we experience is actually a godly thing to do. Um, The suffering is real and it's okay to acknowledge that. Very different, isn't it, to a a Buddhist understanding of suffering. See, the the Buddhist approach to suffering um, is to deny the reality of the pain. Um, it's not to be moved. It's to, it's to be still in the face of, of all that's going on around you. And ultimately, that's to live a fiction. It offers no hope. The Christian approach, by the work of the Spirit, notice, those who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Friends, it's okay to feel the pain. It's okay to groan inwardly, knowing that things will be better, to be looking forward to that. See, that's why Christians are called to pray, come Lord Jesus, come. That's why we are taught to pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. That's why the very last sentence of the Bible is looking forward to the return of Jesus. Because things aren't right now. 
and we are called to acknowledge that they're not right now. Things aren't the way that they should be. Suffering is not a good thing. We're not called to be fatalistic, going, oh, well, you know, crap happens, doesn't it? It's just tough. No, there's a recognition here that, that God actually wants something better and he's preparing something better. We're looking forward to a better future. Like Fiona was saying from Revelation 21, we look forward to a time when there'll be no more pain or suffering, no more mourning, no more death. God has a good thing prepared for those who love him. And then it says in verse 24, in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. See, we look forward to what God has promised. Now, we've seen groaning from the creation. We've seen that Christians groan inwardly, um, those who have the first fruits of the Spirit. But there's another groaning as well. Um, There's three groans in this passage. And okay? Just so you don't forget. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The creation groans, Christians groan, and the Spirit groans on our behalf. See, the the Spirit actually intercedes for us when we do not know what we ought to pray. See, the context of all of this here is it's suffering. And in the midst of suffering, um, when we're at our lowest point, when when maybe we don't feel like praying, we don't know what to pray, we don't know how to pray, there is the comfort that that the Spirit of God intercedes with groans that words can't express. This is the extraordinary kindness of God. Maybe you've been in a situation like that. Maybe you've been going through circumstances or people around you have and you've just not known what to pray. You haven't been able to pray. Particularly as I've mixed with many, many people now over the last few years who've been going through serious illness and struggle. I've heard again and again, I haven't been able to pray. I haven't been able to bring myself to pray. And great comfort knowing others are praying for them. But an even greater comfort, isn't it, to know that the Spirit of God intercedes on our behalf to God? See, if there's any doubt that God's got it, that he's got it covered in the midst of difficulty and pain and struggle, we hear that God himself is interceding on our behalf. It's an extraordinary concept, isn't it? I mean, the whole notion of the Trinity is at work here. That that God in relationship with himself is caring for us. There is spiritual help for us and great reasons to pray. Look look at verses 28 and following. And we'll come back to these. Great verses. Now, let me read it. And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. It's a wonderful promise, isn't it? But it's also a great reason to pray. 
a great reason to pray because God is at work for good for those who love him. See, if God wasn't at work for good, you'd kind of question the value of prayer, wouldn't you? Um, or if God was at work but it wasn't for good, you'd question the value of prayer. But God is at work and it is for good. And so he encourages us to turn to him in confident hope. Now I want to come back to verse 17. Verse 17 finishes the section that we looked at this morning, but I think it also introduces the section that we're looking at here. The Spirit, verse 16, himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Extraordinary promise. But here's the catch. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. See, for a Christian to follow the Christ, it's to follow him in his suffering that leads to glory. Jesus wasn't spared suffering, was he? He he went to Jerusalem where he was tortured, he was beaten, he carried his cross, he was executed and we've been called to take up our cross and to follow him. Why would you do that? Why would you endure pain? Isn't life about trying to avoid all the pain that we possibly can? Doesn't the sensible life involve surrounding ourselves with comfort, removing all the things that are problematic? Well, the world will say it's sensible, but the wisdom of God says, follow Jesus, take up your cross and follow him, even to death. Why? Well, because that road to death precedes entrance to glory. See, we can face trials of any kind as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ because we know the pathway. It was suffering to glory. And we don't know what we're going to have to face in this life. There'll be the normal troubles that everyone in our world faces there'll be additional troubles that come for confessing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ at that point friends remember that God is working for the good of those who love him as he was for Jesus Jesus entrusted himself to his father even through death God didn't rescue him from death. He rescued him out of death. And he promises to do the same for you and I. There's great reasons for hope, you see, no matter what we face. And the Spirit of God is at work within us to enable us to persevere through these difficulties. God's got it covered and he has done so for our sake. Christians suffer but we don't do it without hope. We don't do it without a future. We grieve, 
we mourn, but not like the rest of mankind. We grieve and we mourn in hope of better things. Christians will die unless Jesus returns. But we don't die in despair. We die in hope. Uh, A promise that comes from God that as we trust in him, so too we will be raised. I want to ask you this afternoon, where, where is your hope? What are you looking forward to in your future? Are you prepared for, for whatever might come your way? How are you going to bear up when suffering comes? Because if it hasn't already, it will. Will you keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus at this point? Or will you think, this is a surprise, and look to other things? Or we'll come back to this uh, after a a break. I think we're having a break at some point. but We'll come back and we'll look at it. Do you want to ask any questions or make any comments on this section? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is awesome, isn't it? Um, The... uh, if this world was all there is, if this life was all there is, if one day we will die and rot and that's the end of all things, then the smart course of action is to make yourself as comfortable and pain-free as you could ever be. But Jesus would say, what's it going to profit a person if they gain the whole world and have every comfort possible but lose their soul? See, it's actually eternity with God that makes sense of suffering now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the, the, the idea that of, of hope uh, in itself uh, needs, to, needs to be fleshed out with its context. So um, I could <clears throat> do no work in the course that I'm studying in and hope that I'll pass my exams. Um, I could plan a holiday at the beach and hope that it's not going to rain. Um, so in the first case, I'm hoping against the evidence. In the second case, I've got no evidence either which way. Um, it's just kind of neutral, and I'm, I'm letting you know what I'd like to have happen. But what if there's been a promise that no matter what work I do, I will pass? What if there's been a promise that it's going to be perfect weather next week? And what if both those promises came from somebody who never lied, never broke a promise, who had the capacity to fulfil those things? Then the hope would be real, it would be strong, it would be reasonable, it, it, it would be sure, it would be sure hope or assurance. Now the thing is, <coughs> pardon me, our hope, and the Bible does use the word, is grounded, it's actually secured through the work of Christ. So it can be a sure hope that all who put their trust in the Lord Jesus will be raised, will be forgiven, We'll be justified, we'll be saved, we'll be glorified. In fact, we'll see that language uh, in the next talk.
It's guaranteed by God. Um, It's not wishful thinking. It's actually uh, a hope that goes together with trust. Um, your, Your assurance is based in God being trustworthy, God being loving and God being all powerful, therefore you can take that promise and hang on to it. Is that helpful? Yes, we use the word hope, I think, often in terms of I just wish this would be the case rather than I have every reason to believe it will be the case. Yeah. So when you, when you take a Panadol for a headache, you hope it's going to take away the headache. It's not an unreasonable hope. It's actually grounded in the promise of the company that make the tablet. It's grounded in your previous experience of taking the tablets. Um, there might be some measure of uncertainty. This might be uh, a headache caused by something else or whatever. But w- when we're dealing with Christian hope, we're, dealing with, we're not dealing with mathematical certainty. We're dealing with every good reason to believe the promises of God. But it's interesting. People, people can hear those promises and still doubt. People can hear those promises and dismiss them or people can hear those hear those promises and go right God I'm going to take you at your word I'm going to hang on to that and uh, and I believe you're going to take me there yeah. it, it, sorry just another shameless plug for this book I um I, I, I do talk about false hopes uh, um, because when you've got cancer you you talk about hope in all kinds of different ways I hope they're going to find a cure for my cancer uh, I hope this chemo is going to take away the cancer. Um, I hope that my family will stay, stand by me. Um, all of those hopes are not ultimate. The ultimate hope is that even if this cancer kills me, I believe that God will raise me in Christ. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think that the context in Romans 8 is broader than just Christian suffering because it's introduced by the creation itself being subject to frustration, groaning, looking forward to things being right. So I think it's picking up on the whole world uh, being under the curse of God and so there'll be pain that comes with that and there will be suffering that comes with that, which is true for all humanity. Um, In James it talks about consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Um, But there's also the narrowing in in this passage uh, to the suffering of Jesus. Um, and being co-heirs with him as he suffered, so he went to glory. Uh, so we will suffer uh, in and with him uh, as the pathway to glory. I think it's a both end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, for me the, um, uh, the, the experience of having uh, the cancer diagnosis and then being hospitalised um, and becoming very physically weak and emotionally um, fragile, um, also impacted me spiritually. And I think I was at a very low ebb. I was very weak in so many ways. And it, I, I called into question what I'd believed. And I, I didn't immediately, robustly go, great God, I'm so thankful for your promises. I felt more like the guy who came to Jesus in Mark 9 saying, I do believe, please help my unbelief. Um, I'm, I'm, gl- I'm really glad God put that, that 
uh, verse in the Bible. I'm, I'm glad that, um, that God put the verse in, in uh, John when, when Thomas doubted and, and he had to kind of get tangible evidence that Jesus was real, that he was raised from the dead. And, and, and Jesus said, blessed are you, Thomas. How much more blessed are those um, who aren't going to have this physical evidence in front of them but who believe? It was a struggle. And the help came from family, it came from friends, uh, it, it came from being pushed back to the scriptures, it came through looking at uh, things that I'd looked at when I first became a Christian, like More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell, uh, looking at some of the little videos on the CPX website, uh, having people talk with me and pray with me and just reminding me. And it, it wasn't that I'd, I'd given up my faith, I hadn't, I was just having to having to, to live it out in the context of a test that I hadn't experienced yet. And there might be more tests again that challenge that uh, in, in a big way. But I think having been through this, God has he, he's actually given me a stronger conviction uh, of his promises and the hope that there is. It's a journey. Uh, in some ways, but I also think that I did come to see uh, God at work in the midst of things that were very painful, and so it became a present reality as well. Yeah. Can I just share a story with people here that relates to you? I think it relates to you. Um, I, it's, it's, it's a hazy memory in Tilly's. Yeah, and you were there with your grandfather. Yeah, and you'd been thinking, gee, I wish my grandfather might be able to talk to Dave because he had cancer. Is that right? This, this, this is a true story. And it just a, it, one of these wonderful little stories on the way that God puts things together because I, I, uh, I was still going through chemo. The book had been written, Hope Beyond Cure, and it had just been released. And I was working down in Western Creek because I'd gone to a new church, Stromlo Christian Church. And um, I, I got a call from the bookshop owner at Booklaw in Lynham and he said... You know those books you brought in, they've all sold. Have you got any more? And I left, uh, left Western Creek um, in the middle of the day, just thinking, okay, well, I, I can do what I'll do back at home. And I drove to Lynham and I gave the guy a few more books. And then I thought, I'll just pop into Tilly's and I'll see if there's anyone that I know in there. And there's, there's Hugh and his sister and mother and grandfather, I think. Um, and he'd been praying... Uh, that I might just randomly pop in. It's serious. And, uh, and I think you saw me come in and you came and grabbed me and I went and sat down. Isn't God good? Like, I, I couldn't have planned that one. Um, but God had it all covered. So, yeah. One, one of the things that I had to realise was that if, if God took me home to be with himself through the cancer, if I was to die from the cancer, um, he would keep his promise to heal me because in the resurrection I would be healed fully and for all eternity. And the reality is um, we're all going to die one day. We don't know when. God only knows the days. Um, But true healing, full healing, complete health will only come about uh, in the resurrection with God for all eternity. And so 
I believe we should pray for your brother to be healed here and now. That, that God knows it's painful. God knows that there's grief. God knows how difficult sickness can be in this life. But more than that, to be praying for your brother to put his trust in the Lord Jesus for all eternity so that he might know healing and that as you and others trust in Jesus, you can be united and not separated uh, for all eternity. And one, one of the things that I realised, and it actually led me in part to write this book, was that, that for some people, a cure, whether it's through medicine or healing, whether it's just through the miraculous work of God, that was their ultimate hope. That, that was the best thing that they could look forward to. But even if I'm cured of cancer, I will die of something else one day. And so cure and good health in this life can never be an ultimate thing. The ultimate thing can only come about through a cure to death, um, which is resurrection with God for all eternity. I grieve with people who are suffering and, and I've sadly said goodbye to a number of people that I've made friends with um, who have had the same cancer as me. Um, but my hope for them, and that's why I want to talk to them about hope in Jesus, uh, is that they will know him so that they'll be raised and they'll know that whilst they died in this life, um, it was actually the doorway to, to a beautiful life forever and ever.